Kia ora whanau and welcome to a very special episode of the Alicia Mackay Show where I talk to two incredible women. Monique Davidson is the outgoing Chief Executive of Central Hawke's Bay District Council and she's joined by her Mayor, Alex Walker, as we launch into an incredible chat about how to get the governance and management relationship right. We talk about trust, we talk about being authentic, we talk about giving a shit and we talk about what it takes to actually get things done. Now, these two are brilliant. They're incredible role models for leaders everywhere when it comes to bringing who you are and what you care about into a leadership role and not just doing that in a way that makes people feel good or looks good, but converting that into immediate, tangible action. You will not regret listening to this conversation. Enjoy, everyone. All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of The Alicia Mackay Show. I'm very excited today to have two incredible guests with you. We've got Monique Davidson and Alex Walker. Now, Monique is the outgoing Chief Executive at Central Hawke's Bay District Council. In 2017, Monique became the youngest Chief Executive in local government history at just 29. She left her post as the General Manager of Customer and Community Services at Horafanua District Council, moved her husband and her two kids, and off she went to Waipokorea. Now, in very exciting news, Monique is now Horafanua bound once more, as she's been appointed into the role of Chief Executive there, which is an excellent example of just coming back and dominating. So, you know, hometown girl made good. Love that. I had the pleasure of meeting Monique for the first time in 2017. Now, full disclosure, what happened there was she hit the news for being the youngest chief executive in local government ever at just 29. I saw an article and went, oh, well, I want to be friends with her, uh, and sent her a message and said, hi, can we please be friends? I'll drive to Palmerston North if you'll drink a coffee with me. And to my absolute amazement, she said, okay. And so my stalking really paid off, is the moral of that story. Uh, And we had a cup of coffee. And since then, I have always been a huge fan. And we've had the pleasure of working together and catching up a couple of times since then. So that's very cool. I'm also delighted to introduce you all to Alex Walker, the mayor of Central Hawke's Bay. Now, Alex is in her second term as mayor since taking the reins in 2016. Now, in the 2019 election, I looked this up ahead of our conversation, she didn't just win the election. Like, this was a landslide. So it said in the headline, Mayor wins election by 4,000 votes. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty good margin. How many votes were cast in total? I then find out that Alex has come in at just over 4,500 votes and the closest runner-up was sitting at about 300. So there are words for that as a victory uh, and it is more landslide than win. And she lives on a farm near Waipukara with her husband, draws on that good farmy stuff in her role as the local government New Zealand Rural Sector Chair and Rural Sector National Council representative. So she knows her stuff, she knows her farms. Look, I am delighted to have the opportunity to host this conversation. Monique reached out to me a week ago and said, Alicia, I'm leaving Hawke's Bay and I feel like it's worth having a good chat with me and Alex before I go because of the special stuff we've done. Can you facilitate that? And I went, Hell yeah, I can. And it was in their diaries before they could change their mind. Uh, And so it's very exciting to host this chat, partly because I just love hanging out with influential go-getting women. Like that just zings me up. I love that. But it's a bit more than that. Now, I want to make the point that Central Hawke's Bay District Council is one of only seven councils in New Zealand that has a female mayor and chief executive pairing, uh, one of which is my local council, Porirua City Council, where we have the wonderful Wendy Walker and Anita Baker leading our community. But there are 78 councils in New Zealand. So that's not a small feat. That is a definite rarity. But when we look beyond that, because it would be easy to stop there, This is a council who have punched above their weight in a bunch of incredibly objective ways. I've witnessed firsthand the culture that Alex and Monique have created at Central Hawke's Bay District Council, and it's remarkable. Their Project Thrive, which was first launched in 2017, right after Monique took on the big job, was just this immediate walk-the-talk moment. They took one look at the classic annual plan process, went, this is crap, binned it, 
got out in their community and really connected with what people out there actually wanted for their future and how they could make that happen. Not satisfied with stopping there, they took that approach to their long-term plan and they turned the mirror in on themselves, using the same consultative, facilitative, empowering approach to change the way that Central Hawke's Bay District Council as an organisation planned and operated for the future. So it was no surprise then that in 2020, these guys won the Innovation and Organisation and People Development Awards at the Local Government Excellence Awards, which is no small feat for a council of this size, let me be very clear. They were also the first council in New Zealand to get a double A rating in Council Mark, which is an independent local government assessment where a couple of dudes who've never been to your town turn up, go through your council and tell you whether you're any good. So they were not only the first rural council in New Zealand to get a grade that high, but they're actually one of two councils in the entire country that have managed to do that well. So when I say punching above their weight, I'm not kidding. Now, what we're going to do today is get behind the scenes of this dream team a little bit and find out how they managed to pull this kind of success off together in a sector where the relationship between governance and management is not always rosy. There's an inherent kind of conflict that butts heads when you've got elected politicians and bureaucratic leadership trying to work together, and it doesn't always go very well. Now, these two have managed to pull off something quite special where they not only got on, but they got shit done. So I think it would benefit all of us to learn a little bit more about how they made that possible and what we could possibly learn from that experience. So look, tell me, Alex, uh, starting with you, what's the vibe like at council at the moment as you prepare for the next departure? Well, sad, but actually I think there's uh, emotions that are as much about pride because we've been on a journey with Monique um, since she was 29, uh, five years ago, and I think we take quite a bit of ownership of the fact that um, we've kind of grown up with her and, and she's going off into the big world, to the big smoke, back to Horofanoa, and so, you know, we're pretty proud. Oh, I'm not surprised. Monique, how are you feeling about leaving this place where, as Alex tells it, you entered a baby and emerge a beautiful butterfly? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I wish I looked, still looked as young as I did uh, when I arrived here five years ago. Oh, look, mixed emotions, lots of sadness, but lots of gratitude and obviously a whole lot of excitement for the next adventure. Yeah, look, I'm not surprised. And look, to be big boss at 29 is no joke. So I have to ask, what drew you, not just to local government, but to leadership as a thing you wanted to do? So look, I think I've always kind of naturally found myself in leadership roles, whether I saw it like that or not. I'm one of six kids, the second eldest, and I think that tended itself to kind of leadership in my formative years. And then obviously you do things at high school and university, which develops that stuff. But I fell into local government. I had no idea really about the broad range of things that local government does and how it connects to community, but fell in love with it really quickly. And I don't think it was, you know, what led me to leadership. I think probably it was about the work that I did and the people I was around just naturally led me to this position of, well, you know, I actually quite like this and actually I'm kind of good at it. I enjoy people and I enjoy connecting with people and leading them to deliver cool stuff. But as people who know me well will know that I have always kind of had a plan. Um, so when I did fall into local government, you know, there were some pretty influential people that helped me kind of shape some goals. And I, I, so I did have a goal to be a CEO young. I wanted to be a CEO when I was 35. And it's quite f interesting because when I set that goal, I was at Horofano District Council and I probably did see myself as the CEO of Horofanoa District Council one day. But then to come to Central Hawke's Bay was just, um, you know, I'm so grateful to have had that opportunity. Alex and I have been doing a bit of reflecting over the last few weeks. And, you know, when I think about it, um, for all the right reasons and wrong reasons, it has been the best training ground as a new CA. Oh, I love that. And I love that you talk about falling into local government because I had a similar experience early in my career. It's kind of the forgotten underdog of a professional option, isn't it? Like I did a four-year political science degree 
And I couldn't tell you what local government even did until I got a job in there. And I'm like, oh, this is quite cool. Did you know people can just talk directly to decision makers and they have to answer them? Why don't more people know about this? This is great. So I totally get that vibe of going, oh, I didn't really know what this was, but now that I'm in here, this is amazing. So I think that's really cool. And I also like the idea that leadership isn't necessarily a career decision that you make at a point in your life, but rather something you're drawn to as a person with a connection that can manifest in your community, in your family, with your siblings at a high school. It's not a, I'm a leader now. And I reckon leadership has become such a trendy chat or a trendy thing to talk about that we've really over-corporated it a little bit. Like if you think about what leadership looks like in a family of six, what does that look like for you as a kid? Yeah, well, I think it looks like understanding how you work together to achieve outcomes. And, you know, as a family, that can mean all sorts of things. But I think that notion that we have a connection to some form of vision and value set, but that, you know, you don't always like each other or like the things that other people are doing, but you figure out how to work together. And if we think about leadership, like at an organisation level or at a community level, it's about figuring out how we work together. Yeah, I love that. And because you don't get to pick your siblings, do you? Like whether you like them or not, you're stuck with them. And so you either work out how to get on or you're miserable. Like those are your only two options. So actually, you would think potentially sibling relationships are a great training ground. And I'm going to tell my children this as I see them running into each other's rooms and punching each other in the arm and farting on each other. Because I'll be like, actually, you can't do that at work. (laughs) Well, I always say that what I'm so grateful about with my siblings is that I think that's really driven my competitiveness because we've always kind of wanted to be better than each other, not because we don't like each other. It's kind of built this um, intrinsic competitiveness, which Alex will attest to. I'm highly competitive. And if I didn't have so many siblings, I don't know if that would be a thing. Now, healthy competition gets a bad rap, eh? There's nothing wrong with wanting to push against expectations or limitations or the people around you and come out on top. It's not a negative push people down behavior. It's a intrinsic driven trying to do something behavior. And I think women often are particular targets of it doesn't look good if we're ambitious or competitive or something. And actually, mate, If dinner's being served and there are six kids at the table, you fight for what's yours because otherwise you're left hungry. (laughs) So I think that's awesome. Now, Alex, you're also in a leadership position, but one where you had to win over the hearts and minds of an entire community to make that happen. What in the hell inspired you to want to be the mayor? Well, I fell into that too, actually, when when I look back on it and Leadership is that you're like you've said this journey where you kind of realize some things about yourself as you're working and as you go along. And in 2016 in Central Hawke's Bay, there'd been some really tough times and there was a few contentious things going on. Hawke's Bay had had a massive scrap about amalgamation of councils. Um, Hawke's Bay was also having a pretty massive scrap about large-scale water storage and water in a community is a great way to really get people's emotions going. And so what was going on was that I could see that community was like, we can't deal with this anymore and we're looking for something a bit different. And and I could sense that and uh, quite Quite a few other people could sense it too. And, and actually what happened was a pretty wholesale change of position for the whole community. And they really bought into it. And uh, it was kind of emotional. When I said I was going to stand, I remember vividly the day that this happened. And I was in the supermarket and this woman spoke to me across the freezers, across the frozen peas, and she was crying. And I was like, this is incredible thing where um, leadership in a council, a mayor, can have such an emotional impact on people. And the fact that when you're in a negative leadership situation where people feel really disempowered, that actually it really impacts people's lives and their emotions. And so that really sparked something in me and and it sparked something in the community as well. And so Central Hawke's Bay elected me to be 
the mayor um, without having been on council before. And there was this kind of, um, what have we got to be afraid of? Everything's got to be better than what it is now. Let's throw out the book and start again. And the community got that. So they elected me, but not just that. Of the eight councillors, they elected six new as well. There was only two returned. And um, when I think about the opportunities that both myself and Monique have had in the last five years around leadership and about the things we've been able to do, it's actually because the people of our community had this bravery to go, uh-uh, we're over this shit and we're going to move on and uh, do something completely different. And that laid this incredible um, opportunity for me and for Monique um, coming into the organisation after that too. And we've thought about that quite a lot in the last um, few weeks as we've been looking at Monique leaving and reflecting on what we've achieved. And that journey for us has really been about that bravery that our community had back in 2016 to just go, nah, we've had it. Let's get on and do it different. Oh, I love that. I mean, I'm a huge believer that politicians and leadership in any community or society are a reflection of the community or society that's produced them. And so when I hear people wondering how people got a Boris Johnson or a Donald Trump as though they were anomalies, I'm sort of like, mm, no, actually, they're a really extreme representation of forces that are at play in your society and your community, and they're representing something important. And so your immediate connection between your presence and support for the leadership and what your community needed at that point in time, which was bravery and difference and new and challenge, is a really beautiful reflection on that because... I mean, my work is all around leadership in context and the idea that there's no such thing as a good leader that just comes up in a vacuum and does the right courses and has the right disc profile. <laughs> it's a contextual relationship of where have you been? What have you seen? What did people need? How'd you respond to it? You know, so I just, I think that's beautiful. But the idea of coming on council without having ever been on there before as mayor blows me away. What was that experience like at the outset? Oh, well, crazy. Of course it was crazy. At local government is, people think it's simple and it's just, you know, these people that take money out of you on their rates and they might pick up the rubbish and they might fix the potholes on the road. But actually local government's a really complex beast and I did not take that lightly, not for a second doing my homework was vital. And as soon as I decided that I was going to do this, um, homework was the thing that I did. Went to every meeting I could possibly get to, read everything I possibly could. Um, so being prepared for it. But also looking at some of the other inspirations that have happened around the country where change was pretty big. There were some good examples at the time of places like Thames Coromandel District Council, not that much earlier than when I was going through this change where they'd done big things too. And there'd been big change and the world didn't end. So it was really important to get across to people that A, I had some skills and could do the homework, um, but actually the world wasn't going to end um, having a new person there. They just had to have some confidence that I was prepared as best as I could be. And do you know what? Just worked absolutely flat out to be across it right from the get-go. And that was really important. Yeah, I can only imagine. What I've always found interesting, particularly in smaller councils, is when you have a councillor arrive who's what I call a platform councillor, and their advertising is all pretty much the same thing. They say, we've got to stop this council spending so much money. They have no idea what they're doing. I'm going to get in there and we're not going to spend any money, but somehow we're also going to deliver much better services. And their community go, yeah, and they get elected and then you watch their faces in the first three council meetings as they discover what's actually involved with making these kind of decisions. And you just see this realisation as the colour drains like, oh. And so the idea that you're actually in there going, we're going to change everything. You've got six other newbies who are like, yeah, righto. You're not held back by this legacy of how things are done, but you've got this kind of fresh piece of paper. How exciting. Yeah, it is. That is really exciting. And, and we have to push back on people when they're in those platform positions about it's great to have a platform, but how? 
how are you going to do that? Because actually, when I look at um, what leadership has meant in Central Hawke's Bay over the last few years, it's not been about platforms and issues. It doesn't matter what the issue is, Central Hawke's Bay. You've got leadership at council that is going to listen, that is going to lay out to you the facts and the options and the pros and cons of things, and we're going to make decisions together. So if we can evolve more leadership like that in local government that's responsive to communities, look, I think that there is um, massive things that we could achieve at a local level, even more than what we're doing now. Oh, preach it. Because otherwise, what's the point of having local government? Like if you think council's job as a utility provider to fix the potholes and keep the water running out of the tap. Democracy is a very expensive and inefficient way to provide utilities. If you want a utility provider, we can do that. But that's not what council is. It's a democratic institution, which means there must be a higher calling. And so if we're going to go to all this effort and all this expense to give people the chance to be represented at such a local level, isn't the most important job that you've got people in that job who listen and are connected and walk alongside. Vital. We had a debate at our council table yesterday, just yesterday, about the rents on our retirement houses. And, you know, we can take that asset management viewpoint to it, which because there's a cost to, to run it. But ultimately, the debate came down to about the impacts on those people and those houses and the well-being of those people, both as individuals and as a collective, which really push us around how we make those calls. And well-being, well-being of our community sits right in the centre of that. And that's where we've got to add the value. Uh, I, I just love that you get that because I reckon on every council, there's at least one person who says, you'd never get away with running a business like this. Do you know this person? You'd never get away with running a business like this. I'm like, well, no, but if it was commercially viable to provide elderly housing, then we wouldn't have to do it, would we? Like, we're doing swimming pools and libraries and elderly housing because it's not commercially viable. It's because the community bands together and says this is important for us. We'll fund it collectively and not depend on the private market to deliver that because that's not what it's about. So I think that's just such a beautiful right place way to start when you're making those kind of decisions. And I'm no longer surprised that you've achieved the results that you have coming from that kind of uh, viewpoint. But Monique, this is pretty sophisticated leadership chat for what is actually a fairly small rural council. These are conversations that I've tried to land in massive metropolitan councils who battle with this very thing. How do we put well-being ahead of some of our asset management or financial concerns? Why have you guys managed to make that work? Oh, look, I think there's a number of reasons for it. But, you know, some of the stuff going on in my mind is and if you think back to kind of how Alex articulated the community very loudly said what they wanted at the polls uh, and they elected, a, you know, basically a whole new council. That has created a moment in time and a platform for change. And I think that, you know, we shouldn't underestimate and I will always be grateful that I had that platform for change because it allowed, you know, using Alex's language for us to throw out the rule book and almost create again. It wasn't that we were trying to kind of, you know, just fix a little bit here and a little bit here. We were actually trying to rebuild a whole new organisation. But I think the other thing that's played in our favour alongside that is that we are small. Uh, And because we're small, we've been able to be a little bit naive, but also be agile. Like we we don't have layers and layers of bureaucracy. I deliberately uh, built a whole new leadership team uh, where we were really focused on building a quality, transparent and trusted relationship with our elected members. And when people ask me, well, what's been the magic ingredient? I always describe the relationship with the elected members, which the centre part of that is the relationship that Alex and I have. But it's broader than that. It's the relationship that elected members have with myself and the senior leadership team. Because if we don't get that right, because that reflects trust, uh, it reflects integrity, it it reflects the spirit of service and the spirit of bringing democracy alive. If that's not right, um, then everything else would have failed. So I, I think that that's the thing that we need to continue to look to empower more councils and communities around New Zealand to have. 
And there's a bit of a walk the talk thing in there, eh? Which is like, if you expect the community to come with you on a journey, but you can't even get on to take each other on a journey, it's not going to work, is it? That said, it's not necessarily easy to build that kind of transparency and trust. Alex, have you seen examples where this hasn't gone well? Well, not with us and not with the culture that we've created. You know, you see how some politics rolls out across local government and other parts of the country and you can see it. You can see where there's obviously a distrust between councillors and a, and a management or between the mayor and the management or sometimes between the mayor and, and councillors. And generally, it comes down to the fact that there's suspicion. There's suspicion about whether the information's all there. So you can't talk about trust in local government without talking about transparency and vice versa. And look, we were really clear when um, Monique came on board that that's what we had to focus on because there was no trust. Community didn't trust council. Councillors didn't trust council. Like there was a whole <laughs> mass of trust issues going on. And so the way to combat that was transparency. And it takes a lot of self-control to be able to do that. And you're not just asking two people to have self-control. You're asking 10, 12, 15 people to buy into that. And so what that means is that every single person has to have that relationship with transparency and with the trust. So yes, I see the relationship between Monique and I as the chair and the CE is like the nexus of an hourglass, you know, with governance and management on each end of the hourglass and it's a pivotal part. But actually the relationship has to extend um, not just between us two, but between Monique and every single one of elected members and between me and my elected members and her management team as well. And that's what gives the strength to that nexus point, which comes between Monique and I. Oh, I love that image of the hourglass. And I reckon you bang on the money. I'm automatically thinking of Stephen Covey's speed of trust, where he's like, when you don't have trust, everything just takes a really long time. Because if you want to bring a report to council, and so they're putting their energy into looking for what is really underneath, and they ask for more information. And so then you've got officers going and telling you how many ebooks people rented out in June, because somebody asked for that once 10 years ago, because they were suspicious about ebooks. And, you know, and on it goes, and you've got these meeting agendas that have got a report this thick of the information nobody wants. When actually, more information doesn't make anyone feel better. It makes the officers feel as though they're on the defensive or they might have something to hide or they're trying to preempt issues. It makes councillors think they need to be across it or they're going to miss something or have something slip past them. And it's just a very slow way to do business. Yeah, it is slow, but there's also an important thing here about understanding each other's roles. And so if councillors are asking questions about the number of e-books, councillors don't have a good grasp of what their role as governors actually is. And so that's the other thing that comes with the trust and transparency thing between governance and management is absolutely understanding each other's roles. And there's times when we ask questions of each other that are related to each other's roles, but actually every time um, having the respect uh, for the fact that governance are there to set the direction and the big picture and make sure that things are tracking along. But actually the accountability for the small stuff um, sits with the management team and too often that stuff gets blurred and it's vital. Trust and transparency is uh, inherently connected to the fact that you understand your roles as well. Oh my God, I couldn't agree more. But Monique, you'll know as well as I do that we talk about governance job and management job and the difference. And we have these induction sessions with new councillors to try and make that really clear. But that is extremely hard to do. How did you make that happen? We had a reason to be tight. And our reason to be tight was because the community had said we need change. There was not just one, but multiple burning platforms. And you know, elected members right from the outset backed me as their CA and said, we trust you. And then in return, we built that trust through transparency. And, you know, like often councillors didn't want to know what I had to say, um, not because they didn't appreciate what I was telling them, but because there was a period of time where I was delivering bad news after bad news after bad news. But I think the honesty followed by the integrity and the way that elected members reacted and responded to that information, but a really deliberate strategy to take community with us. So that transparency didn't just sit 
between the governance and management relationship, that transparency actually was reflected in the way that we were talking and working with community to develop solutions. Uh, but like it was hard work. And even though we have a high quality governance and management relationship, it still is hard work. And if it didn't feel like hard work, then I don't know whether we would be focused on the right things. I don't believe in this kind of fine line between governance and management. Like I think we can all read the books, we can have the training, we can go through the induction and we there are points in time where the fine line matters, but actually it's not black and white, it's grey. Uh, and until you understand the grey area, are happy in the grey space uh, and can have really mature conversations, elected members to CE, about what does a healthy relationship in the grey space look like, I think that's where we start to see tension. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And like it's all well and easy to say, oh, I was just really honest and that's what built trust. But that's not that easy, is it? Like it's really hard to be in a new job, trying to prove yourself to people who've hired you, you know, because you get that every time you get into a new job, you get that imposter thing where you're like, are they going to find out? Like, are they going to regret what they've done once they know what I'm really like? I reckon we all have that. But being able to stand up to your new bosses that you're trying to impress and go, all right, guys, Here's the thing, everything's shit and I don't know why. That's not easy. Alex, how do you hear a message like that? Uh, well, when it's delivered with true emotion and integrity, it's really important. And so to see um, Monique totally bought into the pain that some of these things are going to create for community. And um, I hope she doesn't mind sharing. But, no, you know, when, when we had <laughs> this very transparent conversation about how Council had spent $8 million on upgrading wastewater plants that the latest report told us were never, ever going to meet resource consents. And the potential solution for that was tens of millions of dollars that our community really just is going to struggle with. Like there was tears, like this is this is big stuff. This is big stuff for community. It's big stuff for careers and big stuff for reputation. So when those transparent conversations are truly delivered in a way that is about what matters, which is about people and about the outcomes, that's when it's able to be truly believable. And then we all just get on the boat together and go, right, where are we heading to fix this? And when I think about what has truly made Monique's journey so powerful with us on that transparency bit is not that she's just transparent, but actually then she's gone, right, this is how we can deal with it and has delivered. She has told us what needs to be done and then has had the absolute grit and determination to go, I've got to prove everybody wrong. We've got to be first. We've got to be the best. We've got to be the biggest. And man, we're just going to do it. And that's what she's done, right? Uh, she hasn't stopped. So even with the hard stuff, we've agreed on how we get it done. And her drive has um, meant that delivery has added to that credibility and, and sort of rounded out that picture of we can be transparent, but actually we can get shit done too. Oh, music to my ears. <laughs> Alicia, I, th I think you'd appreciate the story that I think it was like, I was maybe three months into the job when I had to tell them the bad news that it turned out our wastewater treatment plants were a lemon. Uh, and I was really deliberate in that I wore the same dress that day that the dress that I wore for my job interview, <laughs> my final job interview. <laughs> And the story will go on a little bit more because then I wore that dress the day I told them I was leaving. And I'm hoping the dress looks all right tomorrow for my last day. Um, but I'm a big believer in symbols. And while it wasn't about the dress, because it was about a lot more than that, but I did use the dress as kind of this analogy around like, council, I'm telling you stuff that I know you don't want to hear, but I'm also telling you stuff that like, I didn't know that I had to come deal with this. And if I don't fix it, and if by the time I leave, we don't have an intergenerational solution here for wastewater and CHB, like my career is on the line here. And so I'm wearing the dress again to show to you that I'm still committed the same day I was when I, you know, I sold you a story in a job interview about how I could come work and lead with you. I think that that's just kind of a little bit of an example of how we've actually got to remember that behind all these decisions, these issues, are actual people uh, and people feel things and the people who feel it the most is our community because they're the ones that ultimately is where the rubber hits the road. They're the ones that 
touch, see, feel, uh, and can tell whether council's doing a good job or not. God, it's just so clear to me, guys, that you cannot fake giving a shit. Hey, like people know if you care and they know full well if you don't. And turning up and just being honest and coming from a place of giving a shit, it sounds so basic, but it's such a difficult thing to do when, as you've pointed out, there's careers on the line, there's reputation on the line, nobody wants to look stupid, there's fear. And in a small community, that sense of enmeshment that you talked about, Alex, that's a real everyday reality. The people who are on council aren't different to the people in the community. They're not making decisions to them. They are the people of that community. And they're affected and their families are affected personally. And let's be super honest here. It's not a glamorous or well-paid job being a rural councillor or mayor. It is hard yakka. It is long hours. And you are not paid enough for the privilege to do it. And your phone rings at all hours of the night from people telling you stuff. Like, you'd have to be mad to want this job. You can't be in it for the money or the power. So that giving a shit's already there. And the idea that you can both tap into, look, we both really care here. Like, no matter what is challenging and we've got to tick the box and there's bureaucracy and there's money and there's a whole bunch of stuff involved, at the end of the day, you really care about this place. I really care about this place. So can we put the other stuff to bed and get on with fixing it, please? It's just so refreshing to hear that. On that note, a lot of people have visions. A lot of people put a lot of energy in the public sector to going out and developing these 5, 10, 20, 100-year visions for community, and there's lots of workshops and post-it notes, and everybody feels really good, and they use a lot of whiteboard pens. But it's actually pretty rare for that to translate so directly into action. Can you tell me a bit about how you first kind of got this thing moving and what the immediate changes you saw were that you were able to use to back up your credibility? It starts from a group of elected members that were elected um, when I became mayor. And we did the post-it notes and the whiteboard markers thing that you're just talking about, just the nine of us in the very early days. And we talked a lot about values of how we wanted to operate. And we came up with some pretty standard ones trust, honesty, respect, but some that were a bit more personal about innovation and valuing people and excellence. And we had this magical moment when those words spelt the word thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E. Like you can't do that on purpose, right? It was an incredible moment actually. And then when we saw this word thrive, we were like, actually this encapsulates the energy, the direction, the purpose that we've got and our community wants us to have. You can't just purposely go and do that stuff. It is That was a really special moment. But we turned that into, well, how do we capture our community on that? And we spent that time with community genuinely asking the questions of, what is it you love? Where are we going? What do we want to achieve? And what's holding us back? And we literally took, and this is the trick, it's not about the whiteboard markers and the post-it notes, it's what you do with that. And you've got to treat that with integrity. And we took every single word and translated every single word into our roadmap of the things that we needed to do. And we took it back to our community and we literally, we got a hall here just around the corner and we literally hung the posters on the wall that had these thousands and thousands of words and actions and they were prioritised and categories and all this kind of stuff, invited the community back in and people came up and they came to the wall and they're like, oh, oh, I said that, I, that's my words there and that was my idea and they could see where it fitted. We could truly create a plan for how our community was going to thrive by treating their voice as a genuine part of creating the plan and the journey and treating that with respect. And so that got consolidated down into our key actions. And I can pick up a book now, it's about this thick, that's got a whole long list of things that are in it that have been categorized and we can tick them off. And there's things that we're just ticking off on a weekly basis of projects that have been initiated because of how that's fitted into the community's vision and their words. Okay, there's two things I adore about that. One is that, like, thrive is a verb, eh? It's not a noun. You can't passively thrive. You can't think about thriving. You can't develop a framework of thrive and then go home. Like, if you're going to thrive there's action involved, like that has an activity in it. So I'm so into that. But the second thing I love the most about that is this willingness to use people's words and thoughts and not try to 
massage them, you know, like you go out, you do some consultation and then you hand it to your strategy, performance advisor, whatever. And they're like, I think this is really about an inclusive, innovative community of the future, isn't it? And you know what? It might be, and that might sound better and it might look better on a poster, but people don't see themselves in that. And the power of reflecting people's genuine words and thoughts back to them unfiltered, unmassaged, is walking the talk on the kind of values that you've both said to me around being genuine and being transparent and not trying to fix things up behind the scenes. And it's such a brave, it shouldn't be, but it's such a brave move to take in this environment. So just like massive kudos for that. Monique, as chief executive, obviously proving you're actually going to do something with this, uh, is important and also kind of sits under your mantle. Like governance has done their job. They've been involved in the posters. They've set the direction. You're then sitting there, 29 years old, thousands of posters going, okay, cool. How the hell am I going to do this? Where do you start? So I think one of the first things is, um, yeah, 29 years old with a five-year contract, day one starts now. And I do think that the nature of kind of how we employ chief executives doesn't, in my view, like in the way that I and what motivates me, like it incentivized me to get cracking. Uh, But my very first priority was around having confidence that I was surrounded by a team that could deliver. And so I unapologetically and deliberately uh, developed a leadership team that to this day, uh, we're all still together. They're a formidable team. You know, some came from within local government, uh, but actually over half of them came from the private sector. And we've deliberately applied the first team principle. We invest a lot of energy and time into our team. And for a while there, like that created risk for the organisation because, there was kind of this bridge that we were purposely building between us and the rest of the organisation because we needed to be as tight as possible and needed to have confidence. We were really clear about how we were going to turn that strategy into action. And obviously since then have you know, done a whole lot of work across the organisation around you know making work easy, growing our people. But the reality is none of this would be possible without the people that I lead and the people I work with and the partnerships we created in the community. Uh, But then the third thing was around pace. So I'm all for taking time to do stuff so that we get it right. But I'm a massive believer in quick wins to build momentum. You know, council, they had big ambition about quick wins. And at times I kind of had to soften that ambition with, well, come on, let's get real, guys. But I think when I really sit back and reflect on our ability to what we describe as bring Thrive Alive, you know, deliver the strategy, that amongst all of that, we've actually continued to face adversity. So when we built that strategy and had huge ambition about the stuff we were going to deliver, we didn't know we had a failed wastewater treatment system. We didn't know that we had a library that wasn't earthquake strengthened, even though we thought it was. We didn't know that we were going to have a a key town pool that we had to close. We didn't know we'd have COVID. Like there were all these things, but actually the organisation has not only delivered on Thrive, but has actually been able to tackle what was some really big stuff that got thrown at us. And the reason that we did is because elected members stayed bold. They were like, we're keeping on focusing on our strategy, but we'll fix this stuff too. Oh, I just adore that because so often you see these beautiful strategies made, but at the first hurdle they fail because you're like, well, it's there's a COVID now or we've got unexpected finance and it's the first thing that gets put down. Whereas actually what real leadership is, is knowing that that's the first test of whether you really meant it. When you talked about values and you talked about the future, here is your first test. Did you mean it or not? And your community's not dumb. They watch that happening and that boldness and that bravery to stay on strategy, even when you have to go off plan, is so at the heart of how you get this stuff to work. So that is just brilliant. I'm so into this, man. I need to put you two on like, I don't know. It's like, you know how you have um, exams and they give you the the exemplar and they're like, if you were going to write the best essay, you would write this essay. And you're like, okay. This is kind of it, eh? Like at councillor school and chief executive school, it needs to be like these two. Try to do it like this. <laughs> On that note, 
Alex, there is no counsellor school, not really. There's a little bit of, here's your induction, there's, here's your standing orders, do you want to be on 12 committees? I hope you don't want a social life ever again. (laughs) How do you, as a collective, embrace that clarity of role that you talked about before, where you actually know what your job is and you stick in your lane? And how do you do that with a group of new people? Oh, you have to take time. And you have to build relationships between individuals and collectively. But actually, part of the role of mayor, and, you know, like I describe the role of mayor to people, and even in my community, I say, do you know there's no job description and there's no Kiwi Saver and there's no annual holidays or anything like that? Like, it's literally right at how you need it to be. But the role of mayor is really important in this setting the governance culture piece. And so one of the things that I encourage people when they're thinking about who they're going to vote for is actually is about some of the skill sets that people do have, because you do need to be able to articulate what it means to be a good governor and to build a united culture. And you have to have the skills to be able to do that. A mayor with a platform can actually be really dangerous, I think. And actually, it's you need mayors that are, have got the skills to bring people together to create great decision making. And I think that we need to invest more in local government about how to tell people and not not necessarily about the exemplar of this is how you do it with the post-it notes, but kind of this idea of how to be authentic and to be able to reflect on yourself and be honest about it and go, well, actually, I'm not that person who's really good at the details on the finance stuff, but that guy over there is, and we need both. So we need that guy who's going to say, no, 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 we're not going to build that pool because we can't afford it and what a ridiculous waste of money that is. We actually need those people that say that because it balances out the uh, knowledge and experience of someone like me who's a lot more, well, actually, you know, we should be able to do this and we'll just find a way. And so you've got to have that mix. And so I think we need to spend more time thinking about the building the skill set, the personal skill set about being governors and leaders. And that's not easy. Um, We have to have the time to do that. I think we try, but we don't do enough of it. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I love this idea that leadership isn't something you are, it's something you do. And that you can tell people, oh, we're all about trust and transparency here. But if they see you behaving differently, it's like when I tell my kids not to swear. I have a terrible habit of swearing and they might not swear in front of me, but they bloody well swear. I'm not stupid. And I reckon it's a similar thing. Like you can preach all you like to your team, but if they see you behaving differently, you might not be aware, but they're not sold. And they're not going to align in the way that you want them to. And so that do what you say you're going to do is just so important. And you two have clearly nailed that. But look, we've got elections coming up at the end of this year in local government. And so we're going to have a whole bunch of new mayors and councillors meeting chief executives for the first time or in a new capacity. And they'll need to start off a whole new journey together of how they govern for the next few years. Monique, if you had a piece of advice for chief executives with an incoming new council, how to get that relationship off to the right start, what would it be? I think the first thing is about not making any assumptions. You know, make no assumptions about who your mayor will be and who your elected members will be. And as a CE, make sure that you are building your leadership team in a way that means that they don't make any assumptions either uh, and they're prepared for whatever the result is. And then once the result arrives, ensuring that they pave the way for the mayor and elected members uh, to lead and set the tone in a way where as, as leaders you've helped them, you've set out a really professional and robust and comprehensive induction process but you enable and you give the space for those elected members uh, to lead. It's easy for chief executives to kind of want to go in and do the work for them, but actually recognising that actually our job is to often support based on our skills and experience, but giving them the space so that they can be very clear about what the mandate is, what direction they're setting, and supporting them so that they can set the tone because the more power they have as a group of elected members, the more clear we are about what our role is and therefore it becomes easier for us to deliver on that. 
Oh, brilliant. And Alex, similar question. New councillors, new mayors coming into the role potentially later this year. As governance, how do you get that relationship off to the right start? I think there's a couple of things. The main one is about not rushing. And I give that piece of advice to both elected members and to chief executives. Like one of my pet peeves is to um, talk to a new mayor within a couple of weeks of them taking on the job and a chief executive has delivered them a paper to a council meeting that says you need to decide on your committee structure. There's things that we do in those early stages which You've got six months to do that stuff. So actually, there's a responsibility from both the new incoming elected members, the existing elected members, and the chief executives to take that time to build that platform properly. Just because it's how it was on the 7th of October doesn't mean how it's going to be on the 8th of October. Actually, that's why we have elections. And um, so take that time. Take the time to get to know each other. Take the time to remove yourself from the council building and go and even if it's you just go and sit on a picnic blanket in the middle of a local park to talk to each other like real people and build those relationships. So building relationships and taking the time because if we rush into the structures and assumptions about how we think a council should operate, then we're potentially setting ourselves up with um, three years of something that might not be as good as it really should be. That's the key things for me, I think. What exceptional pieces of advice. And I'm hoping that we can get this conversation out far and wide in time so that people can actually hear them because I don't think that's advice that you can um, hear too many times. All right, I've got a couple of uh, slightly left field questions for you both that I'm interested in knowing. I'll start with you, Monique. Monique, what's the most influential book that you would say has shaped your career or the way you look at life? I think the the Dare to Lead book by Breen Brown was certainly influential. But like, if I'm honest, um, like I read, but actually... I don't know whether it's words that actually have been influential in leadership. It's actually what I've seen. Uh, It's when I see people uh, be great leaders or average or really terrible leaders. Yeah, I I think that has been far more influential on me. Oh, that is such a good answer. And so you know what I'm going to chase it with then, which is who are some of the most influential leaders that have inspired your style? So I've worked under a, a really incredible mayor, for seven years at Horofunua District Council, um, Brendan Duffy, and uh, he was enormously influential in my career. And I think one of the the biggest reasons for that was because of his ability to always connect with community. And no matter kind of how big the problem was, he was always there for the small things as well. I learned a lot uh, from him. And I could name a whole lot of famous people and not so famous people, but actually... um, uh, we had a, a stakeholder farewell last night and mum and dad were there. And actually, it's my mum and dad. And as cheesy as that sounds, like they are humble as they come, as down to earth as it comes, um, not into the corporate or kind of, you know, public service life as I am, they're farmers. But, you know, the way they raised me and my siblings, the way they contribute to community and the highest standards of expectation that they had for um, me and my siblings. I think that that actually first and foremost influenced my career the most. I don't doubt that for a second. And you do rise or fall depending on what the other's expectations around you are, don't you? Especially early in life. All right. The last question for you is what the most influential or useful piece of advice you've had in your career has been? I think the kind of, you know, knowing that you could go home at the end of the day and sit comfortably with your decisions, thinking about the short and long-term consequences of your decisions. Um, But, you know, certainly if I think about how I've grown as a leader in the last five years, a lot of people have liked to give me advice over the years about my age and how... um, you know, I need to look after myself and not burn out and balance and all of that stuff. Uh, And, you know, there's at times where I've appreciated that advice, but there's been plenty of times where I haven't really appreciated that advice because I've, um, I'm a massive believer that we make, we make our own choices and that no one really knows kind of what our life is like at home. But on reflection, I think 
that advice I got about not remem- not forgetting my most important job, which is to be a mum. And so, you know, I've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and, you know, they love that their mum is a chief executive of a council, but actually they just love their mum. Oh, you're filling me with the warm fuzzies today. I love that. <laughs> now, Alex, you're gonna you're ready and waiting for this one. Having done your homework, there's probably a post-it note next to you. What's been the most influential book for you? I, look, I, I uh, read a lot as well, and, and I like what uh, Monique mentioned about Brene Brown and Dare to Lead. I think she's awesome. But actually, um, I, I had a little bit of a step change moment for me in my professional career before I was a mayor, where I was running the Chook House, my co-working space, and I came across Simon Sinek and um, Start With Why. And look, I haven't gone and then read really deeply across other stuff from Simon Sinek, but that one just really captured me. It really spoke to what I was already doing in my work with nurturing um, other businesses and working with them around strategy, and and um, it really captured my imagination. So, so that piece of work from him, that book, has been really influential for me. I read all sorts of things and all sorts of leadership and books from all sorts of places. And in fact, a chief executive that I worked for once bought me a copy of Who Moved My Cheese, uh, which (laughs) was kind of pretty old school. But actually, you know, even those things, they shape this journey that we're on where we are being leaders. And every time you read something new, it creates a slightly different action when you go and do something the next day. And and, um, so it all adds up. I totally agree. It just absorbs into the overall thing, doesn't it? That is great. And Who Moved My Cheese is a classic. I can't see that ever not being a useful uh, read for any upcoming leader. All right. And what about the most useful piece of advice that you've ever been given? Oh, well, actually, it was from that chief executive that I worked for that um, gave me Who Moved My Cheese, also gave me How to Win Friends and Influence People and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Andrew is his name, and he really inspired me with a piece of advice, which was always assume best intent first. So what that did was really shaped the way that I approached people and the way that I listened to things and how I then translated that into how I problem solve. It's tiring to be suspicious all the time. And yes, there's a risk of if you assume that every person that comes up to you is, you know, is the best person in the world, actually 99 times out of 100, you will be right. When they come and they're angry or they're upset or something's a really big problem, it's not because they're a horrible person. It's actually just because something's happened to them that really matters to them and their intent is generally good. And so that has really shaped how I interact with people all the time. And so matter, no matter, even in my team, my counsellor team, sometimes we drive each other nuts. But underneath it all, I know it's okay. I assume best and dead first and that ultimately it'll be all right. And and I just, I I love that piece of advice and um, that's really shaped me as a person in the last few years. Oh, that is such a great piece of advice and easy to say, hard to do when somebody cuts you off on the motorway and you're leaning out the window shaking your fist. Just me. Uh, all right. And then based on Monique's answer, I'd also actually be really keen to know what a bad piece of advice you've had is. Oh, I think the bad pieces of advice for me have been, you've got to stand up and say this really loud, Alex. And you get that in small towns and in local government and when the politics on things get really hot. I hate that piece of advice because actually it doesn't resonate with me as a person and a leader. That's not how I operate. But it's been really tempting at times to take that on board because you're going, okay, so how? what am I going to do next? And someone says that to you and you're like, okay, no, no, that's not me. And sometimes it's hard to kind of sense check that, particularly in a rural environment. You know, we talk about parochialism in, in our rural environments and you know so that feeds some of that but actually that's not me and um, I've had to consciously push back on that. Oh, that is so great and if you're not in your comfortable space or being yourself how are you supposed to do a good job and how's anybody supposed to believe you and that's something that I think both of you have in common is that you've been able to bring who you are what you're about and what you care about 
to your roles and then use that to guide how you make decisions, how you've built relationships with each other and more broadly. And you just cannot fake that. There's no formula or leadership book you can read that's going to make you a better version of yourself unless you are willing and able to show up and actually be yourself. So both of you have done such a commendable job of doing that and the results are so obvious. So it is an absolute joy. But we're reaching the end of our conversation today. The time has just flown by and I have adored every piece of this. I think you are both a real compelling case study in what it takes to build not just governance and management relationships or not just relationships in local government, but what it means to lead from the heart and not to use that as an excuse to not get shit done. And that's a lesson that is useful no matter where you work or what you do. Some of the foundational principles that you've touched on today around being really clear about what your job is and what good looks like there. Leading from a place of transparency, integrity, authenticity, and putting trust and connection in people first, even when it's hard to do that. Those are timeless lessons that are useful no matter what kind of decisions we're facing in our lives. So thank you so much for coming to share those with us today. If we're looking to find out more about you, I know, Monique, your LinkedIn is the great place to find out a little bit more about you. So we'll make sure we link to that in the show notes so people can stalk you like I did. And don't be surprised if thanks to my share, people are like, oh, Monique, I hear you have coffee with randoms. And so in advance, I am sorry about that. Or a glass of wine. Or a glass of wine. (laughs) So I am sorry about that. Uh, Alex, if we want to find out a bit more about you and what you're up to, where's the best place to find you? So I'm on LinkedIn as well, but I'm certainly not as prolific as Monique. That's her sphere. Um, Most of um, my comms and social media space comes through my Facebook page. That's a good place to connect with me. But also likewise, LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn too, but I just am probably not quite as active. Yeah, fantastic. And that makes perfect sense if you are out charming a community that you are hanging out on Facebook. So we'll make sure that we pop that link in the notes so that people can get involved and check you out. All right. Thank you so much to both of you for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedules, particularly as you're preparing for handovers and transitions and stuff that does take a lot of energy to take the space to share a little bit with the rest of us so that we can learn and use some of that wisdom in our own lives. I really appreciate having you on the show and I'm really looking forward to getting it out there. Thanks for having us, Alicia. Thanks, Alicia. 